Welcome to the podcast, Shiloh Bell. It's good to have you on, my friend. I figured if my 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 dear friend Anya could do it, uh, I could come on the podcast and be all right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Truly my pleasure. Yeah, Anya was a firecracker, man. She's uh, She definitely doesn't hold back. I love that about her. And you've got a reputation for being the same kind of guy. Now, how long have you actually been with the uh, Stingray Broadcast Group? So I started with Stingray right out of my internship in 2003, um, started doing music in 2009, and um, never thought I would stay in Moncton, but um, they just kept adding more responsibilities to my music plate. And so here I am in 2020, which is remarkable. Uh, so 17 years with uh, Newcap at the beginning and then Stingray. Right. And over 10 years uh, programming music as a music director for the station uh, that, that you work for in um, in Moncton, obviously. But you you basically uh, shepherd the decisions for the entire Stingray chain, correct? Yeah. So what I do is just sort of head it up. So uh, we um, have, a, have a music call every week and I kind of get everything all in a row and sort of make a list of songs that we should be considering. Uh, and then we kind of go back and forth. And, you know, usually we have a really good group of talented people that are making the decisions. So it, it makes my life a lot easier because I don't have to sort of, you know, be uh, on top of every single thing. And, and we have a really great discussion, which is which is what I love. But yeah, so we, we do everything. All the ads that we do uh, for are for all of the Stingray radio chain across the country. So your new countries uh, and your real countries. Right. And in those discussions, are are you essentially calling the shots or are you open to um, what some of the frontline programmers are, are feeling and seeing on the ground, especially when it comes to the Canadian country music indie scene? Or like, how, how's the interface of that process roll out on these calls and in these discussions for you? Well, what I, I learned very quickly um that it's really important to have sort of a, I call it my working consider list. So, you know, I do send that out before our call and I say, okay, here's sort of the songs that I think we should be looking at this week or the next month or the next, you know, six weeks or whatever. And and how are you making those decisions, Shiloh? Like what, what does a song need to do to get onto your consideration list for that discussion? Well, let's talk about two different kinds of lists. And this is really important to distinguish. I, a long time ago, I'm, I'm lazy by nature. So I, um, I learned a long time ago that the U.S. guys uh, can make U.S. hits. So I do a lot of my U.S. stuff by the charts and by some of the American research that's coming out. Right or wrong, that was a decision I made a long time ago and said, hey, you know what? I, I don't have to do the research. I don't have to put the work in because the U.S. guys are doing it. Where I put my energy is the Canadian. So on the U.S. list, it really a lot is chart-based. And, and right now, uh, not to go off topic too much, which I will, and you can get me back on, but um, in the U.S. right now, we're having a bit of an issue with how long songs are taking. And I know there's indie artists who are listening to this going, are you kidding? But there's some songs that are taking 60 weeks. Right. To go from release to the finish. And so in Canada, we are not acceptance, accepting of that. We're not tolerant of that length. So we got to make sure we time them right. And that's sort of half my American battle. The Canadian battle, uh, I want to put this out there right now. We really don't give a damn about the chart number. And I know a lot of times people are saying, uh, stations are coming back to us and saying, we need chart numbers. Um, to me, I don't, I don't really look at the chart numbers too much for Canadian. I look at, uh, uh, consumption. Um, I look at, you know, how long it's been out and I look at past performance. So of course the Dallas and the Deans and the, you know, uh, uh, you know, Brett Kissel, you know, they're, they're going to get a little bit of a leg up and, and they have to, um, right. There's a heat factor and a momentum factor there. Um, but you're also checking the analytics. So you're you're probably referencing Amazon Music, Spotify, perhaps even Pandora to give you some data points, correct? I will take any data that you can send me. Um, and, and I mean that completely. And if you're an indie artist and you you look at your, you know, your YouTube video and you have 4,000 streams in two weeks, 
you could just send me a note because I think you have to qualify that. You know, if a Brett Kissel gets 4,000 streams in two weeks, I say it's a weak song. Um, if someone from PEI who's never put a song out before gets 4,000 hits in two weeks, well, you look at that. You know, so yeah, and, right. and you're the same, right? Like you, when, when you look at anything you do, the more analytics, the more tools you have, the better. Right. Uh, analytics are just the bridge to gap the uncertainty to the certainty, right? Like that's yeah. in my world. Um, one of the things that we do essentially is we contact buying entities and we sell them entertainment. Well, the more that I can turn that conversation from subjective you know, from from the analogy of, oh, my God, this guy puts on a great show to listen, we did 2000 hard tickets in that market at sixty nine dollars a ticket. Um, you know, we have this many streams. We have this chart number. This is why this artist commands this dollar value in this market. So you're right. It's very similar process for what what we're doing when we're buying shows or promoting shows or making a pitch on behalf of an artist. And in your case, you're probably getting a lot of those analytics directly from the trackers but i would imagine you're also getting some some direct uh indie artist interface as well so how much of your time is tied up per week interacting with indie artists directly and 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 do you prioritize that is that sort of like the, the music director's version of pro bono work so i have to tell you it's different for every music director and there's some mds who are going to cringe and go what the hell uh i am very approachable I am, I am so easy to get in touch with. Um, and, and so how much of my week? Probably not enough um, because I think there's a lot of indie artists who are still afraid to reach out. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't care if it's a rough uh, uh, demo, if it's a, you know, something you recorded and, you know, you think, hey, this might be something you know, send it to me. And if I don't have time, I might not get back to you right away, but I do like to listen and I do that stuff as much as I can. I love that, the pro bono work. Um, it's pro bono with um, with a bit of a selfishness to it because if you if you hear something out of an artist and you can give them a tip that, that, that they take to heart and then four singles from now, they're putting it on number one and they're and they're being sold by Jim Cressman, then, then, then I, you know, that's a win. And I can look back at that and go, hey, you know what? Uh, I helped a little. And so that's cool. Over the last decade plus of being a gatekeeper, have you had those experiences or a situation that you can point to where maybe someone came to you and they were struggling a little bit, you gave them a tip um, or suggested they switch up their strategy a little bit. And then all of a sudden they came back to you with a winning track and you got to see the, the, uh, the results of that happen nationally. Mm -hmm. I think that happens quite often and I'm not saying that every time, but I think every little bit of feedback that I give, if someone can take it and, and it's not just new artists, like um, you have some artists and I, I guess I can single some of them out and, and whatever, but you have a guy like Gore Bamford and, and, and you know, everyone's like, man, he's, he's established. He sells, you know, thousands of tickets. Um, you, you have to keep up on the trends and you have to keep up kind of on the sound. And so how do you walk that line? So, I do get to send him some feedback sometimes and go, hey, and I've heard his new single. And I'm not saying he actually listened to me. I, I don't, I, I've never asked him, but um, I hear some of the things that, that, that sort of I had suggested and I'm sure others had as well. Um, a great example, I think of an artist who had a ton of talent, but just didn't put it all together is, is, is a guy like David James, who um, was signed to MDM, who... I, th I think was was just missing something. And we would come back at him and say, hey, this isn't good enough, but here's what you should change. Dude changed it, and then that's why we supported him, because he did make those changes. So, yeah, there are some success stories that you, you do come up with and go, hey, you know what? I'm not saying that I'm 100% in on that, but if one little thing that I said um, can, can make a difference, you know. Yeah, and, and listen, I, I think – you know, one of the reasons I'm pressing you on this subject uh, particularly is because I think that indie artists often come to programmers and, and they've got, you know, this product that they've created from the ground up. They're proud of it. Um, but they come to programmers and they go, OK, what can I do to get your attention? So obviously stats, streams, that all matters. Mm -hmm. um, when you're giving them feedback, is it typically on the uh, 
you know, on the, on the musicianship of the, the track itself? Is it, is it, is it more business advice or is it more technical advice pertaining to um, how the track is, is crafted or how it sounds? It's kind of everything. It depends on what I think it needs. I will tell you this, if, if you, and, and, uh, what this makes me a jerk. It makes me a jerk, whatever. But if you are asking me for my feedback, I don't coddle people. So right. like I, I really, and I stress that if you really can't handle my feedback, then get a tracker. Um, I, I'm not going to just go and, and, and tear your shit apart. I really not, but I, I'm also not going to be that gentle guy. Who's like, yeah, it's great. You know? Um, and, and there's a couple of things. If you don't have the production, right. That's the very beginning. Pro production is so easy done now. Right. Whether you pay someone to do it, whether you you have sat in your basement during COVID and learned Pro Tools, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you, like, I don't know how to do it. But bad production is a, is 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 a, is a non non game starter. I I will literally just turn it off and be like, yeah, your production is not good enough. Come back because indie artists have to be perfect. So be perfect in the things that you can control being perfect about. Right. Um, but but, but the times, definition of perfect in that space is somewhat subjective at times. Yes, it can be. But um, if you send me something that you say is finished, now again, there's a difference between finished and non-finished. But if you send me something that's finished and the levels are a little bad or it sounds like it was recorded by three instruments and there's there's no punch behind it, then to me, that's not subjective. That is you just you just spent you know a bunch of money a bunch of time and you think this is good enough and it's not so i think production can be controlled it's one of the most empowering aspects of the new world that artists are um uh, involved in now and and i've talked about this with producers the democratization of great production because at one point you know you really needed to go to a reputable studio to bang out a great record and then you started to see situations like in the in the late 90s, there was a big pop hit uh, called uh, I Could Never Be Your Woman by a guy named White Town. And I remember that causing such a ripple in the industry at the time, even though it wasn't in country music, it was in pop music, because this guy had literally put this track together on his laptop using Pro Tools in his basement, <laughs> had yeah. released it, um, eventually garnered label major label attention, but but had gotten enough attention in the beginning to sort of upset the apple cart. And, and I remember uh, both excitement on behalf of the artist community and fear on behalf of the gatekeeper community at the time, because it was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! All of a sudden, now we're not we're not controlling the supply chain of music, right? So you're right. Artists have the opportunity now to learn their trade from a production standpoint, especially if that's something that really turns them on and interests them. You know, and the other benefit to that, too, is they may refine their sound through that or they may have a moment like, you know, a Sam Hunt, who's who, especially when he originally uh, came upon the scene in like 2014, 2015. His record didn't sound like a lot of records. He'd taken the pop country thing almost to a different level. And um and and therefore created a very proprietary sound that connected and resonated very well with fans. So it's a it's a huge benefit for an artist to be open to the idea of learning and experimenting with different types of production. Yes, and experimenting to the point where when the finished product comes out, you should always listen to it with the ears of a radio station going, is this going to play beside a Brett Kissing? If or a I Keith Urban. Or a Keith Urban. And if I if I send this to Shiloh and he's listening to it and going, I have to play this right after a Keith Urban, is it going to fit? And if you say no, then do better. You know, or or just just be, I, I always say this, and, and no knock against radio, but radio is not the be all end all either. I mean, uh, we talked about consumption. We talked about streams go out and prove to me that people are listening to this song. Right. You know. um, now, th that's an interesting point because radio has for a long time been on the frontier, been on the vanguard of, of curated content, especially in the country space, and sort of deciding where the format is going to trend. 
what's going to be cool next. By relying so much on the data provided to you by streaming platforms, are you ceding the territory of breaking new artists to the streaming platforms? Because at one point in time, that was the role of radio. That's what radio did. That's, that is super interesting. Um, yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's hard because we, we have data coming back that says, and I don't have the number, it's 78 or 84 or something like that percent of people say they still find their new music on radio. So it does mean that guys like me have to listen to a ton of music. And that's what I always say, that the analytics are just a tool. A good song is a good song. And yeah, if you, you know, but you really do need it. So. Right. But every once in a while, would you say you're willing to roll the dice on somebody if you get the right gut feel and you feel like they've got the right team, the right campaign, the right song, the right production? Um, have you had experiences where you've gone, man, that the, the data analytics on this don't add up, but I just have a feeling? Yeah, of course. And and, and not to pick on her data anal analytics, but I, I would I would call someone out like a Tennille Arts who... Um, you know, everyone can say, well, yeah, she has U.S. success, but we did jump on her earlier than that. And she's hasn't always had the best analytics when it comes to streaming. So, yeah, there are some times when you when you do that. Right. And I think Mackenzie Porter in the early days with some of her stuff, too, it was like um, uh, sort of lukewarm on the streaming platforms. But she was translating uh, you know, she was selling some units and uh, and then eventually racking up the chart numbers and then, you know, recently had a another number one song. I think that's three in a row now for her and a top 10 at pop radio as well with these days. Like she's just killing it. Um, but, you know, in the early days, those those streaming numbers didn't necessarily reflect um, the, the level of chart success that she was getting. If you broke those out proportionately to what other people needed to get a number one but they had the rest of the package to go with it. And would you say that, you know, we, we could flip the script on that too and say, there are some artists who get inflated stream numbers, which I am very aware of in my position. I, I dig down. I try really hard to dig down. So and when you would say inflated, do you mean artificially inflated? Yeah. Yeah. So now how do you, how do you know? Um, well, I think a good a good way to tell is you try to get a balanced look at where those numbers are coming from. And if if somebody has, you know, a million streams on the Apple platform and 30,000 on Spotify. Something's not right. There's something not right. And that doesn't happen all the time, but I will tell you it happens. Unless and, Apple has perhaps put a full court press campaign yes. behind that single for one reason or another, or maybe they had it exclusively for the first six months. You know, you definitely want to make sure that you're um, you're checking those boxes before you sort of like, you know, toss the song into the, the, the recycling bin. Oh, yeah. You have to look, but you also need to, 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 to always look at the data and go, okay, yeah, great. You come out with a million streams, but if I look at it and it's one platform, it's like, okay, why is this happening? Did someone at that platform really enjoy this song and they've put it in the position where it's going to succeed? Or, or is there, so, so again, I'm not, I would never throw a song out because of that, but that's when the, that's when the analytics don't matter as much. Then you got to really look at the feel and what that artist has accomplished. Yeah. It's interesting. A few years ago before uh, streaming was, was really a, uh, definite analytic point. A lot of people were looking to social media. So uh, one pattern that we saw reoccurring in our industry was people buying followers. So um, when Facebook <laughs> analytics were hot, say in 2010, 2011, you'd see these indie artists go from 5,000 followers on Facebook to 50,000 or 100,000. And, 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 you know, that the amount of and you also see this on YouTube too. You still do. And you saw it in the early days where somebody would go, yeah, I've got two, you know, 2 million streams on my new music video. And then you pull the video up and there's like three comments, you know, and there's 12 yep. likes and you're going, well, hold on a second. That, that doesn't match up. Something's not right there. And, um, and it, you know, and it, I always 
try to preach this to artists. And I think it's something that you can reiterate. Like the people who you really want to impress are going to know if you're full of shit or not. Like they're going to know. Thank so you. it's not worth cheating. Yes. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you too, I'm going to take that too is, is it doesn't happen as much, but I still see it. And I cringe when I see it. If you put a social media post on your Facebook or your, your Instagram or whatever, and you tell people to please contact your radio stations to request your song. I don't I don't know if I speak for everybody, but I don't love that because then you get people who write us with our call letters or like you get people who just, you know, they're obviously from out of market. And then to me, that just I will remember that for a while and go, yeah, OK, well, that was annoying. So so in your mind, that sort of discredits the artist. Um, but if but on the flip side of that. The, yeah, but on the flip side of that, point. Shiloh, that might mean they've got a really engaged, really ardent fan base. And. At the end of the day, that's that's a benefit too, uh, a fan base that can be mobilized in their direction, right? Yes, but if you're asking them to target specific stations, then you're you're you know, and then they're not from your area. Then it's like, okay, well, what's I don't know. For me, I just I always found that, and I remember doing request shows back in the day with when we actually called each other. Uh, and then you would get like so-and-so's aunt or so-and-so's family members to call. And I've always not loved that because it's not organic. And you're right. It does mean you have a mobilized face, uh, fan base. But at the end of the day, if you know it's being asked for and all of a sudden I get 20 emails within a week about this certain artist, then I'm like, okay, well, that's that's that happened. you know? Right. Um, Especially if they're all from the same IP address. You know, like I, I remember back in the day, I, I used to work um, in radio at Country 105 in Calgary. And when call display came in, this is how old I am. Uh, you would get these same campaigns from people who would, you know, they, they would call with a different name, <laughs> but from the same number oh. to request the same song of their indie uh, friend. And and I get it. And I, there's a part of that to me that's really adorable and ingratiating because it's like, you know, they're they're trying to work the system to help out their friend or their family member. And, and I, I'm empathetic to that, but you're right. From a programmer's perspective, what you want to do is go, is the tactic effective? If the tactic, if the tactic is not effective, then it's really not panning out in favor of the artist you're trying to help anyway. So it, it's good to get your perspective on that. Yeah, no, if I, if I get 20 emails in a week about an artist and I've never heard of you or just a little heard of you and I have no relationship with you, uh, in the back of my brain, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're the one that annoyed me for a week. I, right. I, I don't mean to be like that, but I, I really that happens. And you're just like, Ugh, like, I I don't know. But um, as for digging down and, and, and knowing where there's bullshit, of course, of course. I mean, we're, we're all going to look and see. So, yeah, you can't really lie to us or, or, or try to trick us with inflated numbers. Um most of us will take the time and, and sort of figure out where they're coming from. So you've talked about analytics. You've talked about the equity of artists, um, all potentially giving them a, uh, uh, a second look opportunity when you're looking to um, uh, discuss with your stations, future ads. Um, what about the reputations of some of the more reputable trackers and the people who you've dealt with for years? Uh, does it mean more to you when you get an artist pitched to you by someone who's reputable and has had rapport and, and worked with you for years? I would imagine the answer is yes, but I know that there's that balance between what you think will fit on your station, what the analytics say, and obviously the relationship that you might have with said tracker. There's a few trackers, Jim, that I, I would say are like labels to me. Uh, I have a few trackers on my list that if they send me a song, I will stop and listen to it almost immediately because they're gatekeepers because I know what they send me is selective. So yeah, if you have a tracker like that, who is taking on a couple of songs a quarter, who uh, is really believing in what they put out and you know that 99.9% .9 of it is good. That's a reputable tracker that I'm like, you know what? I'll listen to your stuff every day. There's some that, will just pile up and I'll get to it. But yeah, there's definitely uh, uh, more reputable ones than others. And I think they do. And you know what it is too? It's, it's not so much about the, it's about the relationship, but it's also about the relationship. I know they've built with other stations. So there's going to be some momentum. If our chain gives that song an ad, 
I know they're working their butt off to get more ads. So yeah, I think a tracker really does help. If your song is ready for a tracker, if, if you're getting some feedback from guys like me who don't mind getting an email once in a while, and they're saying to you, that's not quite ready yet, then do yourself a favor and save the three or four or $5,000 until you got a really great song. Because someone's always going to take your, your song, right? Like someone's always going to work your stuff if you pay them. Of course. And that's just the reality. And you need to be really careful with your money or you'll have three or 4,000 or whatever it is spent and go, well, yeah, I guess Shiloh was right. No one played my song. Right. And I, I could have saved you the money. We, you know? Yeah. And, and, and in the early stages, it's not a bad point of advice. And I'd be interested to get your take on this to, to maybe dump, that same money that you might use for tracking a radio single in vain into advertising on streaming platforms, especially if the song potentially could have some life in the future, if it just had the analytics that lined up with it and they could, you know, spend three or $4,000 promoting that song to get it to a point. And this is, this is actually something I want to ask you. What are the, what are the trigger analytics for you? So if you see a song that's streaming, 10,000 streams a week, 20,000 streams. Like what is the number that really catches your it, attention and makes it, you go, I've never heard of this artist, but this, this, these are the type of numbers that we're racking up that I like to see. I think anything in the thousands, especially from a brand new artist. Per week. Per week. Um, and, and again, it, it really depends. If you're, if you're four or five singles deep, even if you're an artist that's never really had much radio success, if you're four or five singles deep, if all your other platforms and all your other sources of getting consumption are still only amounting to a pretty weak number, then I, I do question that. But I would say, yeah, if, if you're a brand new artist, your first single, and you're pulling, you know, a few thousand streams a week, that's that's pretty decent. Right. There might be some. There might be enough momentum for you to justify getting can on we, board with your. Can change. we go back to a point you made? And I, 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 I love this because you said that you should maybe put your money into advertising and get your song out. I would, I would, hundred percent agree with you. That's one of the smartest things I've heard in a long time because your single being out anywhere else but radio does not really start that clock on radio until someone plays it. So if you need to establish some of those stream numbers, then take a month or two. I know you want to put new singles out every three weeks. I, I get it. You're, you're, you're excited. You're a new artist. But take some time before you put it to radio. Build some of those numbers up. And then when you come to me, go, hey, I got a brand new song out. I'm not going to know the difference. Right. But you will be able to check the analytics, go, okay, this song's been out for a couple of months, but it's racked up some impressive numbers. Now, now the flip side of that, and something I've heard from trackers is at times, at least this is what I've heard, but I really want your take on this. I have heard that can work against your radio uh, strategy because the programmer might go, well, you've had this song on streaming platforms for three months and, you know, it's sort of like secondhand now to us. So, you know. Yeah, I've heard that. It, I've definitely... Is that actually, or is that real? Is real. Uh, there are stations who will punish established artists for not putting their for taking it out. to Amazon exclusively first or Spotify yeah. or something like that, yeah. and then going and to radio. And I don't know if that's that that's that's not a thing for me. I don't I don't mind that as much because I mean, yeah, of course, I want now. Like again, if it's a really super established artist and and you you throw out a song and you put a lot of hype behind a brand new song from from Dean Brody or Dallas Smith and we don't get it for a month or two. It's like, meh, you know, but at the end of the day, um, if you're a brand new artist, most of us aren't going to know it wasn't a new song anyway. until so, yeah, you go back and look at the analytics, but at the end of the day, no one's heard of you anyway. So what, how does that start your clock? Right. Yeah. Especially if you're a brand new artist, I think you can really make the argument that you've got to pour some equity uh, into that song Get a story built around it, which I've been saying for years is incumbent upon us, the team for the artist. We need a story that's compelling to take to radio, even if the artist is established, in order to give us the edge. Because as you've seen, 
in the last decade, the competition has ramped up feverishly. I get, I don't know, I should count sometime. I, I get so many songs a week, 20, I don't know, whatever it is. I add maybe on a good week, one or two. I've added one, can, we're talking CanCon. Right. I've so added, Canadian content, how many slots a week do you have open generally for Canadian content? I've I've added one CanCon song in the last three weeks. Okay. And then at any given time, how many CanCon songs are in high rotation? Right. And do those songs um do they do they get the same amount of rotation as your American powers or is it a bit lower? Are you guys no, teetering in that world? It's quite a bit lower. So in our world uh, a CanCon power. This is where we fight, probably. I love this. Uh, a CanCon power is going to get about thirty-five to thirty-seven. Okay. Uh, a international power gets about sixty-five to sixty-eight. Okay, and what's the what's the justification for the difference? What's the reason behind the the difference? In yeah, this? the discrepancy between American power and Canadian power. I would say the, the major reason is because whether we love to admit it or not, American artists are bigger deals. Um, you know, you're you're let's 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 put this on you. If you're booking shows, you're probably going to sell more Aldine tickets than you are ninety five percent of the artists in this country, maybe more. Right? Yeah, that's a fair assessment. So. If they're more popular and there's more content and there's more buzz about them, then by playing them more often, you're maximizing what your listeners really want to hear. I'm not saying the music's better. I'm just saying the artists are bigger deals for the most part. Right. Now, now I'd be interesting. The gap seems to be closing a bit, especially in the last decade. And I can say that from the live side. When I first got into this business about 20 years ago, there was a market difference between Canadian and American production, between Canadian and American chart numbers. Although Canadians were quite prolific inside the top 10, nobody was scoring number ones. Uh, there weren't many Canadian artists outside of Shania Twain touring arenas. Um, now you're starting to see arena tours with Brett Kissel, Dallas Smith, Dean Brody, uh, and more artists are entering that. Sorry. Who else? I'm not picking on the artists in this country. But you named three. Correct. Who else could do an arena tour in this country nationally right now? Well, outside of those three, you'd have to um, you'd have to take a look at James Barker Band. Uh, you'd have to look at you know the Rec Laws. I mean, I I don't know if they're quite there yet, but they're certainly well on their way. I, the point I'm trying to make is that we're further along than we were a decade ago, and to me, that's indisputable in yeah. terms of Canadian. Artists the music, and their ability the, to sell hard tickets. The music is so much better. I, I'm right. not, I mean, a decade ago, you could tell. When you put a song on the radio a decade ago, you'd be like, ah, oh, it's Canadian. They have to play it. Now, I think the CanCon music is better than what's coming out of the U.S. when it comes to the music and the production and the songwriting. Okay, so then why aren't the spins reflecting that? Because I still think the American artists are better deals. Bigger deals. They're, they're bigger deals. Sorry. They're right. they're bigger. They're ju they just are. I mean, Morgan Wallen went out and was stupid and didn't wear a mask on the weekend. Now he's not playing Saturday Night Live. The whole yes. world's talking about that. Dean Brody goes out, decides he was going to go drinking with some buddies and hanging out, and can't play an episode of E-Talk. I'm just – I have no idea. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. You're just using you're using that as a comparative analysis because yeah. of the massive discrepancy in the platforms available to American artists versus Canadian artists in pop culture. Yes. Right? Yes. So I get it's that. It's just the artists are just they're more exposed. And the stream numbers will dictate that as well. I mean, you got you got artists that are streaming nine, eleven, fourteen million, and I'm I'm guessing, but there's they're higher than that. So their, their streams are their, their consumption is way more than the Canadians too. So that's why. But what I love to see is is the number one songs that are happening for Canadian Canadians now. 
I hope the industry realizes, and I don't know if they really do, how much work goes into a number one song now for Canadians. Uh, I, th I think a lot of people on the industry side certainly realize it. You know, it's a lot of campaigning, a lot of timing, a lot yeah. of getting people on board all in the same week, right? And, and it, it, it starts because of the issue that we're just chatting about, that there is such a discrepancy between Canadian and, and American spins. Right. You know. There is. Now, the flip side of that argument, and listen, I understand business. I've always said this. Radio is not in the business necessarily of developing stars, but they do benefit from selling the advertised derived from utilizing uh, the, the art produced by those Canadian artists. And a lot of times your accessibility of those Canadian artists is far higher. So is it incumbent upon the Canadian industry in lieu of the fact that we don't have Jimmy Kimmel, uh, Good Morning America, you know, these massive television platforms, is it not more incumbent upon us in the industry to do everything we can to give Canadians an advantage and maybe look to close the gap on those weekly spins so that we can create more excitement and more of a star system in Canada, whereby the radio stations might be benefactors of that directly, given their access to those Canadian artists? Yeah. I would say you're right if if there were more genuine stars being built in this country. So But isn't that a chicken and egg issue? Yes, one hundred percent. But it, it right now business is business and we we just chatted about arena tours and we have three artists that we can agree on. And there are some that are getting closer, I get that. But we have three artists in this country who can sell arenas out. So it's really hard. Yeah, I can play a Dallas Smith or a Dean Brody or a Brett Kissel every three hours, or two, our rotations are like two and two and twenty or something like that for the internationals. That doesn't bother me. But you know, what about a Jade Eagleson who, you know, and I'm not picking on Jade at all. He's just that level. Do 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 my listeners really want to hear a Jade or that? Every two hours. I well, Jade specifically, if you're bouncing back to analytics, there's a guy who's had about, you know, 100 million combined streams off that first record. So there are people who want to consume that product and are very excited and yep. ardently consuming it, right? He's got the, the most viewed video uh, with his debut single in Canadian country music history by about eight times, you know? So he's, he's a, a, a case study whereby he's building into a star. So my argument back there is if we want to see more Canadian artists at that arena level, how incumbent is it upon us as an industry? And I'm not separating myself from you here. It's important that you know that I'm, I'm talking about us as a combined entity with the yeah. intent to build more stars. How important is it for us to work on closing that gap? So we give those Canadian artists a similar shake to what we're willing to do for American artists whom we simply do not have the same level of access to as an industry. And, and I do is, know that that component's true. It is super important. It is very important for us to take a step up and say, okay, these are our artists. We love them. We want to support them. But then it's really, I'm going to throw it back on the artists or their management or whoever to say, then give us content. Right. I can go out and get content on all the big American artists. There's new stuff almost every week. All right. So but what do you mean content? in terms of content? So are you talking talking points? Yeah. Uh, talking points, right. audio clips, uh, all kinds of stuff that we can put in there that can make these artists bigger deals. Right. So what's an example of something that you've used? I mean, other than the Morgan Wallen, Wallen situation, which you just cited, which is a bit of a negative, unfortunately. But uh, let's talk about something that, that... Hey, at least you didn't get arrested this time. Yeah, thank goodness for that. <laughs> man, oh, man. Going back to the golden era of country music where every good country musician spent a night or two in jail. That's right. Um, but uh, how do we how do we create the type of content as an industry in Canada where, you know, you're not necessarily going to be able to talk about Dallas Smith hosting the tonight show or Brett Kissel, a guest star on Saturday night live, because we're just not there yet in the, in the broader context of country music 
internationally, how could we create content in Canada that would be interesting and compelling enough for you to upsell your listeners on? I would say keep very active in social media. Keep posting videos that we can steal audio from, I mean, borrow audio from. Um, you know, just keep keep top of mind all the time and give us stuff that we can chat about. Like, yeah, you might not play The Tonight Show, um, but, you know, you might have went out shopping for your new baby or you might have done this. What is going to be interesting for our listeners where the American artists are, are, are always front and center? It's right. so easy to get that information. We just want it from the Canadian standpoint. And I know some some labels are getting better. Some groups are getting better, but it's still not easy, you know. That's important because, you know, I think I think we've always made a real concerted effort to try and and create as much content as we can. But I think we could do better, especially understanding that we're up against the Blake Shelton's of the world, you know, in that domain. And so we've got to step up our game and figure out what we can do, whether it's behind the scenes at a concert or something more personal than that. I, I want to, I guess, cause you know, maybe my, what I'm saying is unpopular and maybe it's not, you know, the norm. I don't know, but I, I'd like to, it'd be interesting and we'd never be able to see the data on it, but it'd be interesting to see if people rank their top 30 artists, 25 artists, whatever. How many of them would be Canadian? And is it a chicken and egg thing? Yeah, maybe we're not making them stars. Um, but it's just one of those things where it's like, are, are we really, um, are, are, are we trying to put too much emphasis on the Canadians when they're, they're not building star, like they're, they're, they're not stars yet? Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand the the side of the argument that you're coming from. Like it's it's almost like you're in charge of building the stars to a degree because you certainly help bring their music, their art, their brand to the marketplace. Um, but you're trying to mitigate your risk as well mm-hmm. and make sure that if you're getting behind something that it's going to have the legs for legacy in the long run. Well, that so, I, I need to look at like you look at 10, 15 minute blocks maybe 20 minute blocks, right? Like that's, so that's what radio is selling 15 yeah, minute, and, 20 minute blocks of music. And, and so I want to make sure that when you listen for 15 to 20 minutes, you're going to hear an artist that you have a relationship with, that you built a story with that, you know, you have, you know, you, you, you just, you know, you think they're stars. And again, I think that what we're putting out in this country is better in a lot of ways than what's coming out of the States. I've always said that, but it's just a perception that these American artists are bigger. So yeah, we have a responsibility to build some stars, but we also have to make sure we're playing the stars that are our listeners love. So are the research agencies, uh, are they, are they backstopping uh, this, uh, this narrative that you have about, Hey, you know what? Americans are just bigger. They're more culturally prolific. And therefore, they should get higher rotation priority than Canadians. Um, because you've said now a couple of times, I feel like the Canadian music is getting better and maybe even better in some cases than the Americans. But then, you know, that still leaves us at the gap as to why Canadians aren't necessarily getting that same American power rotation love. I, yeah, I think it, I still think it comes back to if you pulled people and said, which artists do you want to listen to next on your radio? And I, I would suggest you could prove me wrong on that, but I would suggest most of them are going to say an American artist, unfortunately. Right. And that's, that's what I always look at. When we look at music, I want to make sure that what I'm playing is what you want to hear next. Well, if not, then you're going to lose those listeners and those yeah. listeners uh, equate to dollars because that's that's what you use to sell your advertising against. So I get the business side of it. Um, I guess it, it for me, it's, it's it's struggling to understand what we have to lose if we were to work it as an industry to try and give Canadians more spins, higher rotations um, and and take three, four, five, six months and and test pilot it out. I mean, and listen, maybe I'm just naive about the process, but 
uh, as an industry, I just think it's so important that if, we, if, like, we're, if we're not incumbent to build our own stars, nobody's going to be willing to do that for us. You're right about that. We were talking a little bit about, you know, how we make the case to close that gap, not only with, with, with yourself, but with other programmers across the country too, because, you know, to some degree, it's, it's really up to us to build this industry. Now, now one thing that I, I would say is that, you know, we have been very receptive to the influence of the American market as it pertains to su success that Canadians have had within it. So, uh, Tennille Arts, great example. You know, mm -hmm. somebody who wasn't getting a lot of love as an independent artist in Canada. She gets a, a deal in the U.S. Um, uh, you know, Tennille Towns, another example of that. All of a the sudden, uh, they're getting the love that that they weren't getting at Canadian Country Radio leading up to that because of the success that they're starting to see globally and, and especially south of the border. So how much does that factor into your decision-making process? When you see a Canadian artist getting some traction in the U.S., that must be a real vote of confidence for I, you to, to get onto that project. An absolute ton. Uh, as in the point where like, I, I often am, am blown away by some, some stations who are a little bit hesitant on those artists sometimes, where they're you know, a little bit slow. I just think that they're building such a great brand for themselves in, in the U.S. It looks really bad if we don't embrace them as Canadian radio. And yeah, you're right. I mean, you look at Tennille Towns and Tennille Arts, both examples of artists who try really hard to break in at maybe a bit of a different time. Maybe, you know, maybe it would have been different now because I think things are changing over the last couple of years, maybe. But um I, I, I think the, the U.S. stuff makes a huge difference. And it all comes back to consumption. And it comes back to, I mean, you can't get any bigger deal than Tennille Towns winning CMA awards or ACMs. ACMs, whatever. yeah. Um, right. You, you just can't, that doesn't, like, there's, there's nothing else happening in this country. I mean, the CMAs are great and I love their show and I love all that. The ACMs were everywhere. Right, And so it just comes down to how available you are as an artist and how much stuff is going on. And I, I yeah, I, I do think it makes a big difference. And that comes back to the reality that Canada, our society and our culture is heavily affected by what's happening south of the border. It just is, you know, we can, we can pretend it doesn't, but the reality is, is it does for sure. And, and it has been forever, right? You look at, you look at TV. Right. I mean, American, it was, it was I mean, I think it's better Movie, now. Any art form. Sorry? Uh, movies, television, film, any art form, you know, in the arts. I mean, it's, uh, America just has, has dominated the culture wars globally for so many years now. It's, it's probably better than it used to be. <laughs> Hold on. My dog. Uh, it's probably better than it used to be. I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of Canadian stuff being done. That's, that's good as well and getting noticed. But yeah, I mean, I remember as a kid, you could put a, you put a Canadian TV show on and you could tell it was Canadian and yes. same with music. So the art's getting better, but unfortunately they're a lot louder than we are. And there's there like as a, as a, as a culture and as, as the amount of people down there. And so there's just a lot more opportunity for the U S guys to get more exposure. So let's talk a little bit then about an interesting case study with uh, with Corey Marks. He's a client of ours. So he's got the big U.S. deal. He's got a song in, in Outlaws and Outsiders, uh, you know, which did over 20 million streams early on, uh, charted top 10 on rock radio in the U.S. Uh, we took a run at country radio in Canada with a song called Drive. So he did have analytics leading up to the release of that single, but for one reason or another, it didn't translate in, in Canadian country radio land. And specifically, what was it about that song, that artist, you know, a project that was getting in or is getting international attention that, that didn't seem to reflect the value that you needed to take a leap of faith on it. Yeah, I think, I think he's a great example and it's, I'm glad you brought him up because I had a great conversation about him earlier this week. Um, and and I, I'm not going to, I won't single him out per se, but I'll tell you that, that the concerns we have with him and some other artists are 
what are you giving me next? And if, if you are an artist who once in a while puts out a country song that fits our sound, and like it or not, radio has a country sound, then you don't have one for two or three, and then you come back, and that's two years later. We're not developing a story. And I think my concern for about Corey is he really is a rock guy. And he I know he wants to be a country guy, and that's great. But his numbers are coming from the rock world. And I've listened to a lot of his music. And I think I heard one, maybe two, that country radio is going to get behind in a big way. It doesn't mean these other songs are going to go away. It just means that we're going to be a year, maybe more, between country songs. And I don't know if, with all the competition out there right now, am I really going to invest real estate in that when when there's there's just so much out there that I know are going to come at me with country sing song after country song that we have a good potential to play. Right. But the pushback on that might be the country music format does have a tendency at times because of the the – the taste of curators and gatekeepers to become a little bit monotonous and guys like Corey push the envelope, right? They, they create a bit more of a diversified sound within the format. And if we're starting to see numbers reflect that in, in streaming platforms, how much of a case needs to be built moving forward to get Canadian country radio on board with that too, because our vision for Corey is that, you know, I really believe that he's going to occupy a lot of that space that, that is occupied currently by a guy like Eric Church, who is certainly a country artist, but he's also the type of country artist that a fan of, of Tool uh, probably would listen to, right? And and Corey Marks, you know, is the type of country artist that, you know, people like fans of ZZ Top or or any modern metal group, Five Finger Death Punch, are going to get Corey Marks. And as we're seeing borders sort of coming down around formats and people listening to different types of music, is it a bad thing to have an artist who's on the vanguard of a new frontier for the format potentially that could help shift it in a new direction? Um, it might not be a bad idea in, in, in you know, theory. But is country radio and is the average country fan ready for it? You mentioned Eric Church. Um, I just did some looking at some early, let me just stress that, some early data coming back off that new Eric Church song. It's testing very poorly. So that's a, that's a red flag for, I'm just saying, that artist. And he's had a couple where... Yeah, okay, maybe there's analytics that are backing it up and he can sell out. Like if he played here, he'd, he'd do really well. And I love him. Yeah, he'd but, sell at two or three arena shows potentially, but this may not be a single that you can get behind, is what you're saying. Well, that, but is, or, or maybe even like maybe he's, he's, he's just not radio friendly right now, you know? And I don't know that. I mean, we're playing it. Um, I'm not pulling the plug. There's no panic yet. Like I'm not like, oh my gosh, we got it. Cause I think that testing is just a small tool. I think there's a lot of things that you can use. Testing is one of those where you look and you go, okay, well, is it going to stay in the bottom of the 30 that are tested for weeks and weeks? Well, if it does, then you got to look at it. So is yeah, that's the thing about testing. It's a little bit like polling. You know, it's, it's not, it's not unimpeachable. You know, it's not you, perfect. If you use it as the be all end all, then you're missing the boat because I think it's just a small tool that is really good to look at and you should throw some weight on it but you also need to make sure the song is has lived long enough with your audience with the group that they're going to give you accurate information so um but i i don't know is 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 there a, is there a, is there a room for Corey in mainstream country radio we talk about we talked about that earlier about you know I need to play this song next to a Keith Urban or next to a Brett Kissel or next to a Dean Brody. Do they fit? And is his next one going to fit? And that's the question I think that at least I ask about this particular artist is where is he going next? Am I going to be able to play it? I have the same concerns about 
um, a Matt Lang. Not not for the same reasons. I had some concerns about Matt Lang because some of the stuff I was hearing early on was traditional. Probably too traditional for what we love as 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 our new country format. So I was looking at some of that stuff going, he might be a little hard to get behind because where is he going next? Now, fortunately, his two songs have been pretty decent up the middle, you know, pretty, pretty, maybe a little bit traditional, but still on that line. Right. Whereas I don't, I don't know if Corey's really, I, I, I just, I don't know the direction of that artist, you know. So it might be helpful for you, for Corey, or frankly, for any independent artist or, or any artist who's pitching program directors to make sure they communicate either directly with you or via their tracker, their short, their short-term plans and their long-term plans of course. for what they are looking to roll. I, I, I think... I think that's a really important point to make because I do think that that, you know, it's, it's often about let's work the single, let's build the analytics, but we're not necessarily sharing the long-term plans and that can be really important. So, you know, as it pertains to Corey, I mean, this is a guy who we really believe is going to be an arena star within three to five years. Um, We believe that he is going to find an audience that is hybridized between rock and country. And he's going to usher in a new um, echelon of the format. So we're excited about that, but you know, obviously we need some, some people to invest in that vision early on. And as we continue to build it, I'm confident that those people will continue to come on board and we, we just might have to create more international success stories before we get the love that, that we'd like to see in Canada. And, And we're certainly prepared to wait that out. I, I think it's I think it's bizarre, and I I know we're not we shouldn't be just talking about Corey, but I think it's bizarre though that you have an artist who can pull twenty million streams off a rock single. Then, if that's the case, and um, I know he has a collaboration with a pretty big rock artist, um, I think she's big. Um, You're talking about Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm. Yeah, like I I don't mm-hmm. know enough about that format, but I know I knew the name when I saw it. And so that was like, well, she, you know, he has a collaboration with a very, you know, pretty big mm-hmm. country, a rock artist. So if you're pulling that, it not it, wouldn't it be better to do a rock lane? Well, we, we are going to continue to do that. And, and I think that that's, that's a fair point. But if you look at Kid Rock and Sheryl Crow with, you know, one of the biggest country ballads in the late 90s and early 2000s, you know, neither of those artists at the time were branded as country artists particularly right but they were able to break through and that did help especially kid rock at the time and and maybe launch cheryl crow's ability to to pivot into the country lane a little bit as well but it really helped kid rock entrench a brand that was very hard to define but undeniably had its appeal but and, I, but I would I would argue that yes you're right and I think no one's going to argue Kid Rock can't sell tickets and Kid Rock is a huge deal and uh, you know but he had one more country song right so as far as you're concerned the investment wasn't worth wasn't worth Listen, it for the R, I, for the return on investment I was not around when when picture came out I wasn't doing music then biggest hit. I think it's one of the most genius songs. The metrics on it must be huge. It was a win for country. And I've always said this about Taylor Swift. I've said this about a lot of the pop ones. I've said, if they want to call themselves country, go ahead and be country because you make our format work. You give us exposure. When Taylor Swift was hot, I, one of the most popular conversations that my the country fans had with me was, well, she's not country. And my answer was always, hey, man, as long as she could put anything out she wants, as long as she wants to call herself country and she's going to give us exposure. Right. We'll take it. The Kid Rock Show Crow gave country a bit of cool factor when I think, again, I wasn't around so much back then, but I think country was lacking a little bit in the early 2000s. I mean, you had Toby Keith and stuff and I get that, but I think it wasn't it didn't have that cool factor. And I think they helped bring that back a little bit. Um, but realistically, I might be drawing a blank. I don't know if Cheryl Crow parlayed that song into any more country success. 
And well, I, I, I think she waited too long in between projects. And I, and I think that had she come out with something hot off the heels of that, we might be singing a different tune about yeah. her career and how it, it, it went in, in, into the country music lane. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying on that front. Well, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're in this business to, to build stars, uh, you know, to create more arena touring entities and, um, and, you know, I mean, as much as I'm giving you a hard time about the rotations and the uh, frequency of, of plays, you know, you have been a huge advocate for Canadian country music and you've been very passionate about the format. And, and I have no doubt that you were actually a country music listener and consumer before you got into the business full time. Yeah, I was. I was. I mean, growing up, it was all country in my house, always. Right. And then when I went to college, uh, our, our format was the rock side. So we were a little bit more alternative. So you got into that a little bit. But, yeah, I've always been a country fan. And, um, and I think that's really I, important, you know, and, and, and I think that I noticed this when I worked in radio a little bit. There were people who were who were just there sort of biding time. They wanted a career in radio, but they didn't really have love for the format. They would have been just as happy working anywhere else. And, and by the way, I understand that I'm empathetic to it. But I really believe that that this business needs passionate, engaged people on the ground level, making decisions that perpetuate the format forward. And the only way you can do that is if you're invested personally. And if you care about the direction the format's taking, if you care about the artists within the format, and it's very hard to do that if you're the type of person who doesn't really give a shit about country music and you never listen to it, you know, when you're, when you're not forced to. Right. So yeah. it's nice to see that. And I always encourage that when I run into programmers like yourself who are invested, who are engaged, who do love the format. And that's clear because you're speaking from a place of knowledge. Even if I disagree with you, you're speaking from a place of knowledge. I respect that. We need more of that in this industry. That's what fuels it and keeps it moving forward. People who give a shit about the artists, the art and the projects. You know, but it, it, and I appreciate that. Thank you for saying that. But I, I think it also too is um, the artists make it so hard not to give a shit. I mean, I, I, I was, I was, you know, giving some of our artists a bit of a hard time by not saying, you know, that they were arena artists. And I don't, I don't mean any disrespect to anybody. I think, you know, we all have a really good family in this business, and I think that everyone works hard, and they're all in their own lanes, and everything's great. Um, but at the end of the day the passion of this Canadian country community is so crazy, right? Like it's, it's right. It, it's, and that's, what's fueling it. The competition out there is incredible. And proportionately speaking, we're not doing that bad. You know, if you were to argue that we maybe have four arena level artists in Canada, well, that equates to 40 in the U S and you get outside of 40 top Canadian or sorry, top country artists in the United States you're going to have a hard time packing arenas as well because we have a 10 to one population disparity disparity. Right? I would so, never, listen, man, that's why you're the smart numbers guy. I never would have thought about that. And I would suggest that you probably would have a hard time finding 40 U S artists who could do right. full arena tours. So proportionately speaking, we're not doing too bad. We're getting more number ones than ever. I do believe the business is evolving at a, at a great rate. And I'm really proud of, the support that that we get from Canadian country radio, but it's in my nature to want to continue to push that forward. But listen, I want to tell you since, since, since we, since you brought it up, uh, we are week after week, still one of the leading groups when it comes to our Canadian rotation. So there's a lot more you, you, you got to go bug other people too. Cause it's not just us, man. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, listen, man, I really appreciate all the time you took today to, to let people in a little bit on your process, on your thought process, on your evaluations. Um, I think it's just so imperative for, for established artists and artists who are starting out and industry people as well to really get, get some level of understanding of where you're coming from and why you feel like you've got handcuffs in particular areas when it comes to programming and what we can do as an industry to free you up in that realm so that we can, we can get the support that we're clamoring for. Right. And, and by you being so open and transparent, 
and honest about about the issues that you face when you try and make the case to add more Canadians. It's, it really helps us, you know, build out our plans so that we can do everything we can to, to, to remove those barriers. You know, that's incumbent upon us and everything you've done so far has been uh, a positive evolution forward. So again, thank you for your time today, Shiloh. I appreciate it. And we didn't fight near as much as I wanted to. I mean, as much as I thought we were going to. Next time, man, next time. <laughs> Get yourself warmed up. All right. Sounds good. Uh, thanks again thanks, for buddy. doing this. No Have problem. a great day. See you.